following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. And welcome again to Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship. Might appear as a bit of a shocker to see the announcement guy up here preaching. Maybe you wonder about the standards about how they choose the speakers here, but let's carry on and trust the Lord. My name is Walt, and my family just disappeared from the back. My wife, I have three kids. Um, we were I was here as a single person more than 20 years ago and was part of starting CCF with a group of three other men, and it's been a huge pleasure, one of the... Um, real hidden blessings, and after getting kicked out of China, my wife and I and family lived in China for 12 years, we're kicked out, and in discerning where God would have us live to come back and be part of CCF again was just a huge blessing for me. So it's wonderful um, to be with you today. Thanks, Nathan and Shannon, for uh, leading us in worship, and Alexander as well. It is seems like it's a season of weddings. Um, if, you, if you haven't... Uh, Sent a wedding gift to these three people. You could do that today. Maybe they could just, maybe they have line pay or something. You could make a gift now. There's three weddings. I won't tell who the third one is. Uh, Mary and Nolan, of course, number two, but I don't want to, I didn't ask permission, so I won't embarrass them. But anyways, nice to be part of the family and God's growing family. Wonderful to be with you today. Today we're carrying on in Matthew 19 where Tim has been going. We're skipping the opening part of Matthew 19, um, the passage about divorce, where the Pharisees come and question Jesus about divorce. Tim said he wanted that passage um, for next week. So I'm not just skipping it because I'm a coward, but because Tim actually asked to do that. We're going to go on to one of my favorite encounters um, that Jesus has with people. Now, in our modern world, when we think of an encounter with Jesus, it's usually very private. Now, I just need a a word to the sound um, guy in the back. I'm getting so much feedback, it's intimidating me. So I probably could be turned down a little bit. We have the encounter, which is titled in the Bible, The Rich Young Ruler. So if you want to turn with me, if you have a Bible, electronic or otherwise... Matthew 19, starting in verse 13. We're mainly going to focus on 16 to 30. We're going to come back at the end to the passage about children. Tim has talked a few times now about children, and I think he's done a great job with that, and no need to cover more of that, about how we need to be like children in our approach to God. We'll tie it in at the end. I need to also warn you, um, or Tim had asked for me, um, yeah, that's enough, already done. I want to give you one warning. I've read two books recently, which probably color uh, my message a little bit. There, is that better? The, this goofy microphone thing here. Um, and that is I've read the book, or listened to it on my bike rides into work and back, called Don't Waste Your Life. Have you ever read? Who has read that book, Don't Waste Your Life? Yeah, by John Piper, a powerful read or listen. Um, if you have extra time on your hands, cancel your Netflix subscription and, and have a go at that book. And then another book, which will date some of you, a book called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon, which was sort of the impetus um, for this movement 
um, in the late 90s called WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? So this book, In His Steps, again, if you're looking for a real challenge to your walk with the Lord, a couple of good books um, to read. Let's pray together as we enter this passage. Father God, we're thankful, so thankful, especially as we um, exit our time of Thanksgiving season for those of us who are Americans or who have at least benefited from knowing an American um, and enjoyed Thanksgiving. Thank you for all the good things you give to us as we come to your word today. uh, Make us thankful for it, even when it divides us deeply, even when it's hard, as it was for this young man, to hear the words of Jesus. Father, do whatever's necessary in our hearts. Father, and I pray you would open each person's mind to hear what you would have for them today. Father, that our lives would be changed as a result, not of my message, but of your message and of your words. So we thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one big question which will um, frame your entire understanding of Matthew 19. I should look at the time. I do have a watch. I always tell people I do have a watch, but it has absolutely no connection with how long I talk, just so you know. Um, But it's good to know what time it is. Your understanding of this passage shapes the entire discourse that Jesus has with him. Now, it would be interesting before you start to really do to be able to do some kind of an unbiased survey. Who sees the rich young ruler as just another pharisaical bad guy? Raise your hand. You think the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what good things should I do to inherit eternal life? Was he an honest, humble seeker like Nicodemus in John 3 who comes to Jesus to really know who Jesus was? Or was he just showing off in front of the crowd? Makes a big difference, right? And um, of course, you know, when someone starts a message like that, you, you should know that he's probably headed towards, well, he's a good guy because we think he's a bad guy. It's got to be a twist. Yeah, I do think he was a good guy. I think he's a very good guy. Not good in the sense that God alone is good, but I think he came to Jesus honestly. There's a lot of evidence for that in the passage. And it's imp- at least I want you to entertain that thought as we get started. I didn't have any kind of PowerPoint um, for you all today. I've watched a few videos lately, and there's this new kind of software called Rike. And basically, it says if you're using stuff like PowerPoint, you're from you're old. So um, we won't use that today. There's got to be something new. It's, it's dreadful software. But anyways, let's um, read this. I'll give you a few of my evidences why I think he's a good guy. Could he be a real transparent person? He admitted he fell short. He admitted it in front of everybody. What good thing do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What he's saying is. I don't have it. Now, this wasn't an aside. This wasn't at night. I'm always worried about the cord. Um, This wasn't at night like Nicodemus. Whoa, I got to be sorry about that. I forget. Last week, um, last week, Mike, he had this bright light from the sun right in the Facebook feed right here. It's bouncing back and forth. So I told told someone about that. And I realized because Mike is a lot taller than me that I should actually it's actually my halo. It's not the sun back there. Does it work? Is it there? So, anyways, um, sorry about that. When Jesus has an encounter with people, it's surrounded by people. Almost every time Jesus has an encounter with someone, he's surrounded. It's not just him and this person as we imagine it to be. 
There were some like that. The woman at the well and Nicodemus, probably pretty private. I would say even Nicodemus, the disciples were there on the balcony listening wherever they were. Um, But here he was in a crowd. Remember, the little children had just come to him and his disciples had said no. And he had said, yes, let them come to me. There were lots of people around. This wasn't a private event. And he comes to Jesus. And here he says in Matthew 19, verse 16. Someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? So he admits he fell short. He came to the right place. Now, if you're proud and you're arrogant and you want to show off, you know better than to come to Jesus, right? You go to the other people who are going to tell you how great you are. You can always get the answer you want if you go there. But he came to Jesus. He came to the right source. And many of us, sometimes we spend our times watching videos or going to conferences or reading Christian books. and We don't come to Jesus to ask him these difficult questions. We definitely don't come in front of everybody else. He humbled himself in front of the crowd. And he says later on, what am I still lacking? Right? So you might think, well, he's the arrogant guy, proud guy, because he does say, I've kept them all. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I'm still empty. I'm still lacking. I don't have what it takes. And then he said, then it says of him that he went away grieving. He went away grieving. When was the last time we, myself included, had an encounter with Jesus that examined our heart and we went away grieving? Well, that's not the only response to an encounter with Jesus, but it is one of them. The Pharisees, the so-called bad guys, how did they leave Jesus after an encounter? How are we going to what? Kill him. Let's kill him. They're mad, right? He wasn't mad. He was sad. He was broken, I think, by his encounter with Jesus. Now, we don't really know how it all ended. We don't know if he went home sad, counting up the costs and abandoned everything for Jesus. We don't know. And he might have because God's not God's not prone to sharing his glory. Right. That man, we might have glorified him for what he did. We don't know where he went. We don't know how the story ended. And my last evidence is that Jesus never once mocks him. Jesus doesn't go after this man. Jesus invites him to continue asking questions. And that, to me, says this man, and and my guess is Jesus was surrounded by thousands. It's not like the meager turnout here at CCF to hear some guest speaker preach. Maybe word got out, who knows. But there were thousands, right? And he went away Grieving. How did they know he was grieving? Because they could see it on his face. Maybe he was even weeping. So I want you to frame that, that this was another guy who came to Jesus. Because if we make him the bad guy, we won't enter into the same discourse as he did. We're less likely to go to Jesus with that same emptiness and brokenness because we're the good guy. He was a bad guy. But I want us to enter this situation as well with Jesus And ask those same hard questions. What am I still lacking? Now the scene or the framework of the question is is classic. Um, Do good, get good. The man was definitely under the understanding, as was very common in his day. And you could say a good argument could be made for it from from the Jewish law. A good argument could be made that if you did all these things, you would get good. 
And in our current time, it's changed a little bit. You don't even have to do anything. You can just be good, whatever that means, and you get good, right? You just have to be something or identify as something good, and then you're, you're going to be good. Um, so there's a lot, we have a lot less responsibility in that. We just convince ourselves we're good, and then we deserve it. But his world was very different. Now, both are selfish, right? Both are selfish and sinful world cultures. In the old world, in the world where this man came to Jesus, the question was, what can I do? I have a personal responsibility in this. I have a stake in this. God does ask me to do something or to, to act in such a fashion. Nowadays, we come to God saying, what have you not done for me, right? How has God failed us, right? He did something, he should have done something, he didn't do it, or did something he shouldn't have done. How our parents failed us? Kids are all gone, quiet, scared. How has the school system failed us? Maybe how has our church failed us? We don't come immediately saying, what can I do? Right? What can I do? What, maybe the problem is me. Right? We're quick to say the problem is them. Right? Because that alleviates my own personal responsibility. So, so when you understand the framework of this situation, it's very different. Um, I think the man very humbly came to Jesus. We have the habit, too, as opposed to what this man did, we like to talk about religious things that have no impact on us. You know, I'd like to talk about um, the way that people are mistreated in the hills of, of Peru. Because I'm not going to go to Peru and I don't have any contact with people there or want to talk about some high-level theological discussion. This man didn't do that. He knew that he had a problem and he needed Jesus' help to solve this problem. And he did. So. He, he was putting himself on the line here. Again, how it ends, I don't think we really know. We tend to think, and most of you, had you filled out a survey, when it says he went away grieving, you would have said, probably, and I would have probably too, said he chose his wealth over Jesus. Right? You might have. I don't know if he did. Um, okay, let's get, um, finally, with any... Um, with any luck, we'll get to his first question. Let's read now. And I'll start over at, at verse 16. And I'll read through the first two questions, and we'll talk about the first question. Someone came to him. Now, remember that the writer, Matthew, doesn't say um, that this was the rich young ruler. We put that in there because in the other Gospels, we assume that this is the same as other occurrences. But it may have been, it may not have been. Right? Someone, Matthew says... Now, Matthew was the tax collector. He knew who the good, good guys, big guys, wealthy people were, so maybe he would have made a note of that. We don't know. He says, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain, as a possession, obtain eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Interesting about Jesus, how he always brings it back to himself. He didn't ignore the guy's question. He didn't change the subject. But he wanted the guy to really know, too, that goodness is only found in God. Goodness isn't found anywhere else. So if you're asking a question about what is good, you'd better understand that there is only one good, and that is God. Jesus, um, if you were to have a conversation with Jesus... He would be always pointing back to himself. 
Now, if any other human being does that to you, they're mad. They need to be in a hospital somewhere. Okay? If I were to have a conversation with Averill and say, how was your Thanksgiving? And Averill would say, oh, it was great. I was really thankful for myself. I really did a lot of good things to people this year. Okay, what do you, you know, and you carry on the conversation. Averill's always pointing to himself. You would think, well, the guy is selfish. He's arrogant. What is he doing in church? Um, but Jesus did that, right? So he's either, right, a madman or he's really bringing people back. Now, I don't think he did this in some sort of, like, look down on this man. If you watch some videos about this scene, you'll see that the man was kneeling before Jesus. I'm not sure if he was or wasn't. I wasn't there. Um, but I don't think he's talking down to him. Maybe there was even a twinkle in his eye. There's only one who is good. And he didn't ignore him because he gets right to the point. Jesus says, there's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, now this is different than obtain eternal life. Jesus was saying, there's, you know, not, it's not a possession. It's not a one-time transaction. Salvation is a one-time transaction. I'm not saying that. But if you wish to enter into life, if you want what's lacking, keep the commandments. You might think that's an oversimplification, but it really isn't an oversimplification. If you are perfect, do you get to go to heaven? Yes. Yes, because you're God. Right? So I hope none of you are, or I'm in trouble. Um, but, yeah, if you're perfect, you do. So, so was it true? Jesus wasn't just being sarcastic or, or cynical or talking down to him. Right? If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Do the normal things. I remember um, this, this simple answer. I remember when I was teaching at Grace International School years ago, 20 years ago. I taught there for five years. And um, there were these two staff members who came to the, the PE teacher. Now we don't call them PE teachers. There's big fancy names for those people, strength and conditioning or um, athletics director or whatever. They came to this guy and they said, we want to lose weight. Can you tell us how to do this? And the guy said, eat less and move more. And, and there, was, there was trouble. The whole school sort of was shocked. But how could you say something like that? We need a more complicated answer. What should we start eating? How, what kind of exercise? But the guy who was the teacher then, his name was Sonny. Almost probably nobody knows who Sonny was. But um, it's very straight and to the point. And Jesus did the same. Keep the commandments. Jesus was very clear. Um, the problem is we can't keep the commandments, right? But in this man's day, look at his answer next. He goes on to say, the man says, which ones? Now, you might think there's only ten. How many Jewish commandments? The Jews understood there to be, from the Old Testament, how many? Yeah, 613. It's a little more complex. You get off easy with ten. And you can even ignore those because of the grace of Jesus. You can't. We sometimes think that, right? We think we can well, they had 613, so this again was an honest question. The man knew his heart was empty, he lacked something. Jesus, please, you know, come on, give me help, I, I need more. Tell me where am I lacking, right? Where, where is that one place that I'm missing? So then Jesus gives him a straightforward answer. Here is the list. Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And now, the scary part was that love your neighbor as yourself incorporated several hundred of this 613. So it wasn't just a simple six-part answer. We tend to think that 
he just gave him half the commandments, the non-God ones, to try to point him to God, but he gave him a lot. So it didn't really help the guy. But Jesus was trying to tell him, if you want to be perfect by the law, it's all of them. It's everything. Um, so, you know, if you're perfect, you don't need God. And the other part of the Ten Commandments admits the need for God. You see, the other commandments about honoring God and keeping him and honoring his name, right? Those, those admit your need for God. There's something above you. The other ones just admit your need to keep the commandment, right? You don't break these. After the fall, man could no longer be perfect. Man could no longer be perfect. So we go on to question three. And the man sticks it out. You know, if he had been really the arrogant young man that we make him out to be sometimes, he could have just walked off at that point. I got it. I nailed it. Right? Look, everybody. And they were around. They didn't, nobody, nobody sat in lines like this. They were around Jesus, listening, crowding in all the time. Um, he could have said, follow me. Right? Follow me. I got it. I nailed it. You can do this. Now, people in those days were brought up, um, if you were a Pharisee or you were brought up to follow the law, you could really consider yourself blameless without being dishonest. Can anybody think of another person in the New Testament who claims that according to the law, he was blameless? Paul. Paul said that. Philippians 3.3. 3, according, according to the righteousness based on law, found blameless. Right, so Paul, who he would not say he was at one time an arrogant young man, but Paul said the same thing this guy did. I have kept the law. I have. Um, and so I don't think, again, the man was just, he was brought up to believe if you did these things, you were righteous according to the law. He was only saying what, what, what anybody would have said who has grown up the way that he did. I think I skipped ahead too far. Question number three. The young man said to him. Now we have it, I think we also have it too fast in our versions. It comes too fast. You read through this thing, you don't know about were there pauses, were there other people in the crowd, peoples, did I say that? There are other people in the crowd shouting things out, you don't know. We don't know how long this interaction took. Did the man stop and think for a while? And think, wow, you know, what do I do with that? And Yeah, Jesus, I think I have kept all that, but what am I still lacking? What's wrong? Why do I feel angry inside or empty inside? Or why is it not going well? But we see it too fast. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? In the King James, it says, what lack I yet? It's still not all there. And Jesus is ready for him. He doesn't say to him, you arrogant young man, I can't believe you said that. He doesn't. He invites him in. And he invites you in as well. No matter where you are, Jesus invites you in. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete. Now notice in this passage, and I, I forgot to um, say this, there's six different references to um, the goal of this discourse. One is enter into life, to be complete, enter the kingdom of heaven, enter the kingdom of God, and inherit eternal life. But it's all, it's all one question. Really, we're talking about the same thing, right? How do you get to know God? How do you get to be at peace with God? So it, even though it's worded differently, 
And maybe there's some nuance there, but I'm not so sure how important that is um, to the discussion. But Jesus continues to interact with this man. If you wish to be complete, if you really want this, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and you will have obtained eternal life. Does Jesus stop there? No, 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 he doesn't stop there. We don't stop when we become Christians, right? Selling everything you own and and going somewhere else or doing something different doesn't make you a Christian anyways, but it sure does relieve a lot of the roots attached to our hearts. It does cut a lot of that away. Jesus says, and come, follow me. He doesn't say to obtain eternal life, but to be complete or filled or satisfied if you want to be everything you were made to be, you were created to be, if you want to understand what's this missing part, this void in our hearts. So we all know that salvation is great is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and there is a one-time transaction where you do become a Christian. But we still live for the rest of our lives, and there's times when something's missing. And we have to also turn around and say, something's missing, right? And then you have a choice. Who are you going to go to? What are you going to do when something's missing? The young man heard this statement and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. The word grieving is a strong word. The word grieving is not a a light word. And it does definitely mean sadness. It means something you've really thought about. Now, wealth in our day doesn't necessarily, though I do think it has as much Um, roots into our hearts, but I think the roots are less spread out than they were. When you were wealthy in those days, you owned a lot of property, you had a lot of servants, you received an awful lot of honor and respect for your wealth. This guy had a lot to lose, to be honest. He had a lot to lose. More than someone who just has a bundle of stocks. You know, you've got your $2 million Vanguard portfolio and you're set. It's all in one place. It's hidden away. Nobody even knows about it. You're not getting a lot of daily honor and respect for this. You don't have servants, um, many servants uh, about you, right? And um, so this guy did have a lot to lose. So let's not look down on him too quickly um, for what he was being called to do. I think he was an honest and intelligent man. He knew what Jesus was really saying. I once sat at a at a pool um, in, uh, in Wichita Falls, Texas, where my wife and I have a supporting church. And I had a conversation with a supporter of mine. Um, he's a, um, shouldn't, I probably shouldn't say too much about who he was, but we sat at his pool, and the man is uh, very, very, very wealthy. And he said to me, he, he brought up the topic, you know, I'm a little bit nervous, you know, what do you do with your really wealthy supporters, right? Do you bring, this is not the passage you walk into their home with. When you see them every four years, right? We, we don't, right? Because we're cowards. Um, I, I am. I'll own that. I'm a coward. So, so he goes, I don't think Jesus really meant for the young man to give it all up. He only meant for him to be willing to. To be willing to. What a load of rubbish. What an absolute, what, what garbage talk, right? So then me, you know, you know my mouth. You see me do announcements, right? It just comes. I'm a teacher, just, it just goes sometimes. So I said, no, I, I, think, I think he really meant it. Because how do we know unless you do it? How do I really know you're willing? 
unless you do it. Nobody knows. Well, God knows. He does. He does. He does. For better or for worse, he does. But God really meant it to this man. It wasn't some hypothetical, go and think about if you could do this and then use your wealth to promote the kingdom of God. Look at all the advertising you could do. You could hire non-Christians and see them saved. Use your wealth for God's kingdom, right? Is that what he said? No. Everything. Come follow me. Everything. So again, I want you to know that, that have compassion on this guy. Jesus did. Jesus had compassion on this young man. And we don't like this guy for lots of reasons, right? We don't like him because he's rich, and maybe we're not. Who knows? Uh, We don't like him because he's young, right? All that energy. We don't like him because he was a ruler. He had power, right? So our natural tendency, right, is is to not like this guy. He had everything that the world says we need, right? He had power and prestige and wealth. He could do whatever he wanted. Right? And so sometimes there's all kinds of reasons we don't like this guy. Um, but he came to Jesus, and he came to the right place, and he came asking the right questions. Jesus then makes a statement in uh, Matthew 19, verse 23. Uh, look at the time there. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, it depends on how you perceive Jesus talking to them. Now, when he talked to his disciples, remember, he probably wasn't just with them. There were lots of people also hearing, listening. And we can look at it and say, oh, those rich people, they don't have a chance. Or was Jesus really admitting this guy who went away maybe crying in public? Now, I think in any culture, men don't cry in public. That's not something we were proud of. But... Maybe you went away crying. And Jesus says, man, it's hard. And it is. It is hard. If you're, if you're nobody and you have nothing, and Jesus says, give up everything you have and come follow me, like most of Jesus' disciples, right? Maybe except for Matthew. Um, the guy writing this, interestingly enough, um, they well, I have nothing to give up. You know, I have two pair of socks. I'll give one pair of socks away and I'll come, you know. I'll come, I'll come follow Jesus. But Jesus was honest about this man. It is hard. It is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus talks about the eye of the needle, that um, the only way a camel could get through this small gate in the wall called the eye of the needle was to remove everything from him and kind of get down on his hands and knees and squish through this thing, even if he could make it at all. Just a reference to coming to Jesus requires that we leave it all behind. To really know God, we have to, we have to put the rest behind. And then the disciples, who, who were very quick, and I'm very thankful that they were, to ask Jesus more questions, follow-up questions. Look at your New Testament sometimes and think about all the things that we learn from their follow-up questions. Sometimes we mock them or we mock Peter for some of the dumb things he said, but I'm glad he did because I feel a little bit better about the dumb things I say, and I, I feel better because I learn from Peter. I learn from those interactions. So first the disciples, and we're not sure who or maybe all of them together, when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? Because they still believed that riches and power um, meant something. Riches and power helped you, right? Do good, get good. So if you got good, you must have done good, right? It's a simple formula. 
So they still thought that the rich really had something that they did not have. And even today, we sort of imitate this in the church. If you look at those who are chosen to be elders of churches in the West, right? They're not usually plumbers and car mechanics uh, and, and window cleaners, right? They're not. They're the bankers. They're the oral surgeons. They're the people who have prominence in the community. Jesus then answers them, um, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus, very quick to, to answer this question. And again, um, Jesus doesn't go after the riches very much because I think for Jesus, it, it really didn't matter so much. The answer was the same. Um, Jesus knew that it was hard for this man to follow him. He says, with people it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus didn't say, you can't and God can. But he said, together with God. Together with God. And one of my favorite things about the, uh, the Old Testament is this one phrase that's repeated many, many, many times. Do not fear, for I am... For I am watching you, this is God speaking, do not fear for I am watching you, waiting on you, warning you. What does God say? Do not fear for I am with you. I'm with you, right? Oof. Um, check the safety standards, stops of this little setup up here. Dodgy, it is dodgy. It's true. So God, God when God invites us to do something, he invites us to do it with him. He doesn't leave us alone. He knows it's hard. But he says, come with me. Come follow me. Well, following Jesus wasn't this nice little single file line. I'm doing my steps, step counter, doing my steps, following Jesus. No, it was with Jesus. It was eating and drinking and challenging and asking questions and making meals together and laughing together. Um, it was all together. And I think that's fantastic that um, he doesn't say God can do it, but you can do it with God. With God, it's possible. Then Peter. Again, Peter, wonderful. We had a little um, question by Peter last um, Sunday as well that Mike handled very well when he preached. Peter says to Jesus, behold, we have left everything and followed you. Right? If that's the standard, if leaving everything and following Jesus is the gold standard, what's there going to be for us? It's not the same question as the young man saying, what am I lacking? I'm broken. I'm missing something. I do want to know God. I want to obtain, to enter into the kingdom of God. But something's missing. That's not what Peter was saying. I don't know, really. But he was saying, boy, we're going to really cash in. This is going to be incredible. What's it going to be? And maybe not. Peter was, again, Peter was a, was a great guy. Many things we can thank Peter for. Have we really left everything? Um, in, in getting close to closing, um, have we really left everything? Sometimes I, I, I do wonder, you know, in, in preaching about this passage, I often wonder about myself uh, in terms of what have I really left behind? I joke with my students sometimes. Um, I'm a math and science teacher by day, 
Um, I do a lot of work, uh, IT work as well, but that I really didn't have what it took to be a dictator of a small country, so I chose the classroom instead because it simulates that sort of all-powerful uh, environment and teachers have this dreadful God complex. Um, try sometime to have a meeting with teachers or to try to teach teachers anything. Um, it's hard. So... Have I really left everything? You know, I brag sometimes about my options. You know, we were kicked out of China two years ago, my, uh, my family and I. And, well, I can go back to America and get a job as a teacher or as an engineer. I worked as an engineer before. I could maybe as an IT guy. I've got options, right? Indicating I hadn't really left everything behind. I still have my foot back there in that door. I've got plan B. Right? If God doesn't work out, I've got plan B. But this guy would have nothing. There was no recourse. For this young man, there wasn't go sell everything, put in the bank, follow me until 65, 67 and a half. I just was over the edge. I could have retired two and a half years earlier, but I'm too old for that now. So um, I was was too young for that. Too young. Yeah, I was too young for that. Um, Jesus said, it's gone. Give it away. Don't put in the bank. You have no retirement savings. You have nothing. That's faith, right? I haven't done that. I don't know that God calls us all to. That's different than just to be willing to. I think we can be willing to, and still God doesn't ask us to do that. But truth of the matter is, we've never really faced the same question Jesus asked. Few of us have. Few of us have. It's a hard question. And I I put myself in that camp. When was the last time, again, we went away grieving after an encounter with Jesus? Right? The, The modern talk, we should always leave an encounter with Jesus just top of our game. My best life now, right? Got to have it. Uh-oh, I just saw a big yawn. That's bad. When, when people start yawning in the church, you've got two ways to go with that. Just keep on preaching and hope that they fall asleep for just a bit, wake up, then they have to say good things about the sermon because they might have missed something and everybody else doesn't know that they slept through part of it. But that's fine. We're done. We're closing. When Jesus asks us to come, he asks us to come completely on his terms. It was not simple, but it was very straightforward. You come. The other passage that mimics this passage is you take up your cross and follow me. Give up everything. Gone. No recourse. No way back. Now, if this guy had sold everything, mind you, business was very interwoven in those days. Had he sold everything, it might have ruined a lot of his people he's doing business with. It might have ruined them or put them in jeopardy. He had no friends to go back to, maybe even. Maybe his family would have rejected him. This was, this was, there was no recourse for this young man. So when he goes away grieving, it was no small thing. How do we ask God questions? And we'll close with this and we'll pray. And, um, and then I'll ask the worship team uh, to come back up. How do we ask God questions? The modern man or woman sometimes starts with putting God um, in the dock, as C.S. Lewis would say, putting God on trial. You are wrong and bad because I'm the source of truth. You need to prove yourself to me, and then I'll believe you. The ancient man, as this young man probably did as well, said, you are right and good and know better than I know. Raise me up in faith. Give me faith to believe you. Don't ask God to prove himself to you. Ask God for the faith to believe and to follow. 
A.W. Tozer, in some of his books, makes it clear that we must first believe to understand, not the other way around. You're not going to understand how fullness of joy and life comes through losing everything and following Jesus. But it must be Jesus, must be our focus. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful um, for this insight into this young man. We're thankful for the way that it exposes um, my own heart and my own study in this passage, how it can challenge us to follow you more closely. Father, I pray this week that each of us would, would put aside anything we're trying to do to obtain, to maintain eternal life, anything we're doing to feel good about our life now, to feel that void that you, Jesus, can only fill. Father, forgive us when we demand that it be filled immediately. Help us to be willing, Father, to wait till you fill it. Maybe, Father, there's people here who've been waiting a long time. Father, give us faith to keep waiting. The Father, know that following you is the only answer, and it's always been the only answer. Raise us up in faith. As we go from here today, Father, bless us as we enter into our different circles, whether it's work, uh, ministry, whatever it is. Pray that you would help us to continue to think on your invitation to come and follow me with no strings attached. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.